Today's readings are uh, selected from the Old Testament. Leviticus 19, verse 18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Deuteronomy 10, verses 18-19. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Psalm 41, verses 1 through 3. O Lord, be gracious to me, to the choir master, a psalm of David. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of the trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. Proverbs 31, verses 8 through 9. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, you speak to us in both law and gospel. We thank you that um, you reveal your very character, your nature, who you are, what you have done by providing us with a perfect son, a son who kept your law perfectly, a son who redeems us from the curses of your law, a son who is holy and who is just and who is merciful and who is loving and gracious and kind all at the same time. Father, we ask that you would give us wisdom this morning to understand your word, um, that you would help us to consider what all of your scriptures teach about the gospel and justice. Give us ears to hear. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, there's a disco ball behind me. Don't be distracted by that. Um, pointed it out so you'd be less distracted. You don't have to think about it now because you already thought about it, right? So it's behind. All right. Uh, the joys of meeting it in a school. So, uh, so last week we finished up our series through the Gospel of John, and um, and now we're taking a break uh, from going verse by verse, uh, kind of chapter by chapter, book through an entire book, to uh, take some time to consider a biblical topic or a biblical theme. Uh, we kind of do that um, each year to to kind of help us focus in on something um, specific. Um, that, that is helpful for us to look at because the scriptures talk about it and teach it. And sometimes when, you're, when you are going through verse by verse, um, you know, it's easy to um, not give enough attention to certain things that, that we need to think about and, and be um, looking at. So 
For the next four weeks, uh, we'll be looking at how doing justice springs from believing the gospel in the whole Bible. Uh, so it's kind of this, this big picture overview, really quick, you know, getting in and, and diving in and, uh, and, and, and moving through. Um, so just four, about four weeks of attention to this topic, um, looking at examples of what grace and practice looks like uh, in our own lives, in our, our church family, and in the community around us and, and engagement in society. So, so maybe the, the one thing to write down or to like kind of hold, um, if you want to take a note of just the, the, the big picture, um, the gospel leads people who believe the gospel to do both evangelism and justice. Maybe write that down or, or make a mental note of that. So um, this is stating the obvious, but I am a white dude who's a pastor. That's, that's obvious, right? Very, very obvious. Uh, for those who didn't know, though, now it's clear. So, uh, and this sermon series is called Let Justice Roll Down. No question uh, bringing up in our ears and our minds uh, the famous words of Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech, who proclaimed, We cannot be satisfied so long as the Negro in Mississippi cannot vote and the Negro in New York believes he has nothing for which to vote. No, no, we're not satisfied and we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. That last line, let justice roll down, invokes, it calls us back to the prophet Amos in the Old Testament. Um, and it was a, a mainstay Bible verse during the Civil Rights Movement. Um, and I bring this up to say that in this series, uh, we're going to be talking about biblical justice and what it looks like. Um, and you see, the, the, the Bible's understanding of justice includes calling racism a sin. And so if you're a racist, the law of God says, uh, it calls you to repentance. But justice also includes the sins of, of murder, uh, the sins of, of abortion and abuse and oppression and sex trafficking and, and, and the mistreatment of the poor. All of those are injustices, are, are wrongs. Any one of those problems is a sin according to the scriptures. And um, every one of these is a problem God's law condemns and God's gospel can forgive us from and save us from. And so when Amos is saying the words, let justice roll down, which we'll give more attention to the prophets next week, um, but he, he means what Dr. King said. And he means a whole host of other sins too. So let justice roll down is a call for, for wrong things to be made right. Um, I want to spend a little bit of time just kind of setting this up because, um, because it's, you know, sort of a thematic picture and it's, it's kind of short, so I want to kind of set things up. So bear with me. The introduction is a little bit longer, okay, um, just because of that. So um, I realize that uh, some people might be uncomfortable with the sermon series looking at the gospel and justice. Um, maybe it makes uh, you feel uneasy because uh, mention of justice to you brings up the concept of social justice. Social justice has been used by people on the left 
to mean the re redistribution of wealth. And so uh, when someone on the right hears that, there's a reaction. It, it, it just happens, right? Um, of course, someone on the, the far right would be quite all right with, with talking about um, and advocating against um, abortion. Abortion's a social justice issue. So if abortion gets a free pass because murder's a sin, uh, we, shouldn't we allow for racial injustices, uh, sex trafficking, and many other issues to be of our concern because they're clearly sins too? So in either case, I think uh, using the term social justice uh, is unhelpful because I think the conversation so quickly gets to talking past each other. It's a lot of this, right? Not much of interaction. And so I want to avoid using that term for the most part uh, because it's, it's just loaded with a lot of name-calling baggage on, on both sides. And I won't even draw attention to what those things are, but I'm sure you've heard them. So it's, it's nasty, and there's no place for it among God's people who are knit together not by political party affiliation or any other thing, but, but through the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. So can we just forget our political alliances this morning? Fox, NPR, CNN, BuzzFeed. Can we just like forget that stuff this morning and, and, and give attention to our ultimate political allegiance, that of our Lord Jesus Christ? To hear from him. Because it really doesn't matter what terms we use or don't use, because when we think about the idea of justice, justice is always social. Um, there's no kind of justice that is not social. So an action that I do has to do with my neighbor. What I do or don't do affects other people's lives around me. If I um, give to a charity or a mercy fund or give money to somebody on the street, that's a social action, right? If I don't do anything, that's also a social action, choosing not to do anything, uh, which also affects my neighbor, and if he's hurting or starving, it actually harms him. So that's social, and it gets political and economic and personal too, right? One more quick thing uh, before we really get into this. Um, here's what I don't mean when I say, and I bring up social justice, um, just if, you're, if your alarms are still ringing and you're like, come on, what? Um, I don't mean a particular policy or a particular party or agenda. Uh, so consumer capitalism is what we've got in 21st century America, and we have to live and, and, and think about, seriously, how, how do I love my neighbor in this context? But if I'm in Cuba, or if I'm in North Korea, or if I'm in China, then we have to figure out how to love our neighbor in that context, amen? Right? It's, it's about where we're, where we're located, specifically, and we have to deal with those kind of constraints in that context. And so this sermon series, please hear me, is not about specific group advocacy or, or party loyalty. Um, it's about the kind of attitude, the discipleship that, that springs forth from a people who actually, truly, really believe the gospel with their hearts, mind, soul, and strength. So 
So if you're someone who, who believes the gospel, by the power of God's spirit, God is making you into a person who at the very least, you know, as Bob was praying, wants and, and is confessing and, 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 and wants to see justice rolled down in every area of our lives. So I want us to consider two points this morning to guide us. Uh, first, we proclaim justice. That's the first thing I want to look at. And then second, um, we practice justice. So digging into the Old Testament verses that we have in front of us, uh, Leviticus 19.18, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And then Deuteronomy 10.17 and 19. For the Lord your God is God of gods, Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God, who's not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were so- sojourners in the land of Egypt. And so these are, these are just two examples of God speaking to Israel, uh, specifically uh, calling his people to do justice. Uh, one word for justice in Hebrew is mishpat. Can everybody say with me, mishpat? Let's do it one more time. Mishpat. All right, there it is. So we could say it. Now you know a Hebrew word. There you go. Um, and so this, this word's used over 200 times in the Old Testament. Uh, in simple terms, it means to, to treat somebody with fairness, uh, to deal fairly, uh, to treat with equality. Uh, for example, in Leviticus uh, 24, verse 22, Mishpat's used to warn Israel to have the same rule for the sojourner and the native. Uh, sojourner, if you haven't heard that term before, you're like, what is that? Uh, it's just it's a term for foreigner, like an immigrant, uh, somebody who has a different ethnicity, likely, uh, but, it, but comes from a different place, different origin. So God says, treat this person the same way you treat your own neighbor. If someone's rich or poor, you're going to deal with them as a person, um, as, you, as you would any other person in, in your society. Uh, And now look with me at Proverbs 31, verses 8 through 9. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. There are a lot of passages we could cover on this topic, so I had to be very selective. Um, So... Uh, but, but different groups of people constantly come up throughout the Old Testament as you're reading. Uh, the widows, the orphans, the needy, immigrants, and these all describe the vulnerable in a given society. Uh, today, we could easily substitute each of these for what we have. So we have the refugee, DACA, the migrant worker, single parents struggling to provide, the elderly, and the homeless. Uh, so all of these are, are more vulnerable people than, um, than others in society. And so to, to do justice is to treat these other people um, in a way that, that pr- has provisions for them. If we fail to do justice to them, we violate justice. Uh, pretty simple, right? Uh, so, so we're not living justly if we neglect the poor. Um, this call, defend the rights of the poor, in verse 9, it, it calls us to be a voice for the voiceless, for those who do not have the economic power or 
the social power to speak up for themselves. And that's what God calls his people to. Who is God? According to Deuteronomy, as we just read, uh, he's the God who executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. Who not only loves uh, in abstract ways, but actually feeds and puts clothes on the bodies of real people. So maybe we can think about it this way. Uh, God identifies himself as defender of the powerless, provider of the outcast. So if you oppress or, or you, you oppose the lowly, um, God stands on the side of the lowly and poor, and we're standing against him. It's backwards, right? Um, when you're asked, what do you do for a living? Somebody comes up to you and says, what do you do for a living? What do you, what's our normal response? Our typical response, I think, is to put our front foot forward, our best foot, that is, not, you know, our back foot's a little limpy or, or you know, it's not as, not as sturdy. So this is, this is my front foot. I'm, you know, this is who I am. This is my identity. Um, and so, and so, so what's the most significant thing that I do, right, is, is kind of what we, where we go with it. Uh, when I go places and see people, uh, what do they usually say about me? Uh, for example, uh, they'll say, okay, that's Nick. Uh, he's a pastor in San Diego. Um, putting the first thing, you know, of what people deem important out front. Uh, I do a lot of other things, too. Like, you know, I'm, I'm husband, father. Like, I like different crafts. I used to play guitar and other cool things, too, right? Um, so I'm not just this one thing. Um, but that's what people deem significant. It's what people identify they identify me as that because um, I'm deemed important because of what I do. Well, well, thinking of that, God identifies himself by what he deems important. And what he deems important is, I am the God of the poor. I am father of the fatherless, God says in, in our call to worship this morning, Psalm 68. I mean, let that really steep in for a second. God of the poor. God on the side of the poor. Are we a people of the poor? Are we known not just for charity, but advocacy for and relief of the poor? Question to think about. Um, I think one of the things that really excites me is to to read about uh, Christians in um, the first few centuries right after the Bible was, was given to us. Amazing stuff to read about. Amazing testimonies. They're viewed by the um, elite in the Roman Empire as a cult and as super weird, essentially. I mean, that's like when you're reading these different situations of how people describe Christians. Uh, this seemed very strange. Because uh, they loved lepers, they fed the poor, uh, they showed hospitality to strangers. And the thing is, though, is what they were doing made the gods of the Roman Empire look really bad, super bad. Um, And so non-Christian people started to respect Christians uh, and believe that they believed what they believed uh, because it was backed up by the testimony of their lives. They were charitable, they were giving, they were sacrificial, risking everything for the sake of others because they believed the gospel. What would it look like for the 21st century American church to look more like that 
and less like it does. I really pray that the, the future of a lot of churches uh, would reflect these biblical priorities. But there's, a, there's more than one word in the Bible uh, for justice than the one I said, which was? Hey, look at that. Everybody got it. Perfect. Mishpat. Um, so, uh, and, and there's more than four examples that we can draw from, from uh, the Old Testament for justice in the Bible. So, so what I want to do uh, just very quickly is to highlight uh, what just living looks like in the Old Testament. Uh, so what is justice according to the Old Testament? Justice is uh, equilibrium. It's recognizing that not every part of society is the same. There are, uh, you could put it this way, there are the have and the have-nots. Um, everywhere in a given society that happens at some point, at some level. Uh, remember Jesus' words to his disciples in John. Remember we were in a series in John. So uh, what do he say? He says, uh, you always have the poor with you, essentially. So the issue is not getting rid of all poverty forever. God is going to do that definitively in the new creation. The real issue is who's going to take care of those who have not in the meantime? Who's going to make provisions? Who's going to provide and care for the vulnerable and the marginalized now? And so in the, in the Old Testament, it's those who have something, it's those who are in power who are to take care of the orphan, the widow, the sojourner. Deuteronomy 10.19 says, Love the sojourner, for you were sojourners in Egypt. God freed you from Egypt, and he gave you land. Now you do the same to others who find themselves in the kind of situation that you used to be in. And so that the, the principle that emerges is very simple. It's God forgives, so we forgive. God gives, so we give. Um, and, 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 and the gospel is the underlying motivation. It's the underlying motivation for living justice, for doing uh, just things. Um, and so it's probably at this point, right, that if you weren't concerned, uh, now you're nervous, right? Maybe a little, maybe not. Probably not, because everybody here just loves their Bibles, so it's all good. Um, but, but doing justice, and specifically the concept of, of social justice, as I mentioned earlier, it's often used to recruit more people to hop on a specific political bandwagon. Bringing this up again, that is not what I'm trying to do here, Okay? I'm, I'm talking about God's call on the life of every single Christian. And, and through the God-ordained office of deacon in a local church where, where God is calling every one of us to do justice as we are able with the means he's given us in the place and the time and the circumstances around us. God is just as he makes us more like him by his spirit and more like Christ. He makes us a people who want to right wrongs who want to give generously, who want to engage in issues of the day and help the poor and the vulnerable around us, right? And so just a couple of examples really quick. I mean, if you're an employer, you know, doing justice isn't some, like, crazy cause. It's just paying your employees a decent wage so they can make a living, right? <laughs> I mean, as employees, too, working hard for your employer and so on. The, the, the complicated part 
in, in this whole topic is there are a ton of different ways that we can go about this, and, and I think that's usually what stops us from doing anything. Um, it's not part of the mission of the church, some will say. Okay, but it's part of the great commandment to love your neighbor. So what are you up to that helps your neighborhood? Others might say, just preach the gospel, be quiet about everything else. Uh, but Jesus was not a quiet man who kept the status quo. Uh, his message and that of his disciples radically altered life in the Mediterranean world as they all knew it. Social structures changed because of more Christians living as Christians in this world. And human rights is a thing in the modern world because of Christianity. I mean, think about that. It's a good thing. So in our, in our cultural moment, our cultural place in America, um, Democrats say big government's going to take care of the poor. Republicans say big business in America is going to handle it. And the church kind of says often, let the church and the government do that and take care of it. And guess what? Poor people tend to get neglected, right? Thankfully, there are nonprofits and, and all kinds of different great organizations around uh, that, that do have some capital and are able to get some stuff done. But it, I'm raising this because it is still partly our responsibility as Christians living in the world. So I think we need to reclaim justice from the world and proclaim it again in the church. Because the, the, the church is the one place on earth where, where different ethnicities are actually recognized and valued and welcomed, and all people are brought in by the blood of Jesus Christ. Where women are valued and respected, where the hurting can find safety and healing, where the poor are cared for, everyone is a full citizen, not second-class citizen, um, we are our brother's keeper, and not only our brother's keeper, but our brother's brother and our sister's sister. So there's this actual care for one another. It's a picture of, of something that only something as powerful as the gospel can actually create that reality. God's justice, satisfied by Jesus, the justifier, going to the cross to pay the penalty that we deserved. We're declared righteous, just, through faith in Christ. And so as a justified people, we, we do justice. It's, it, it becomes part of the, our, our gospel DNA, the kind of people that God has made us to be in Christ. Only the gospel of redemption can do this, though, to create that in us. Um, and so, I mean, kind of summarizing a lot of this, uh, the Old Testament teaches us the, the people of God are commanded to care for the stranger and the poor. Doing justice isn't really an option, we can't opt out of it. We can't opt out of love for neighbor, especially love for those in the household of faith, as the New Testament puts it, caring for those who are in need among us. So it's not enough to preach about justice. We actually have to practice what we preach. And so I want to finish up by looking, lastly, at the second thing, we practice justice. Um, in Bob's pastoral prayer, uh, he, he hinted at this, but uh, this idea of love without, huh, love in word without deed is not love, right? 
let's say that your mom or dad or spouse or loved one, another close friend, somebody in your life, says to you, I love you. They say that. But they do nothing at all to back that up. Uh, So you need some help, and they say, I can't help, but I love you. And you need some money, they say, I don't have any money for you, but I love you. Uh, You say, hey, I just need somebody to talk to. They say, I'm sorry, I'm too busy, I don't have any time to talk to you, but I love you. I mean, does the person really love you? Like, you have to, no, not really. I mean, typically that's not how it works. Um, Love is both word and deed. I mean, think about it. I mean, that's why when Jesus came, he didn't just come um, bodiless. He didn't just show up in, in word only. He actually took on human flesh. He came into this world living a perfect life, dying the death that we deserve, loving us in both word and deed, talk and practice, orthodoxy and orthopraxy. So, I mean, thinking about what does this even look like, um, it sounds so nebulous or so difficult, or what does it look like? What does it look like today? Uh, what might justice look like today for individuals and for the church? As individuals, I think it, it means um, taking time personally or, or as a couple or as a family to meet real needs around you. That includes the hungry, the impoverished, the refugee, the sex trafficked, the addicted, the handicapped, or the elderly in our own community that we live in. Uh, it means acting justly towards our real and our local neighbors around us because God has justified us in Christ. We've been freely given grace so we can freely give of our time and our energy and our talents and our, some of our resources to provide for others in need. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe God's calling you to, you know, get involved in, in a nonprofit or an organization that, that, that helps out. Um, maybe that's something that, that God has put on your heart, in, in your head. Um, maybe there's a soup kitchen that you can uh, volunteer for during the holidays. Um, opportunities abound. Um, it's part of living in a Christian in a needy world to actually take up those opportunities. Uh, one encouragement that I wanted to bring up this morning is uh, something to share. Uh, uh, kind of the, the initiative of our deacons uh, at Redemption um, to take up more tutoring at, at Walker Elementary. And, and recently, too, we had the opportunity, uh, some of us, to go and to actually paint and improve um, a school that is in, um, you know, uh, a, essentially, a, it's, it's a school space that needs a lot of improvement, that doesn't have the means to um, have a decent building, essentially, for, for the kids to, to, to have school in. And so maybe that's what God's calling us to as a church family. Um, 30-something uh, people in our church have been meeting regularly uh, once a month to go over uh, Keller's Ministry of Mercy. Um, exploring more ways specifically that we can um, show mercy to the neighbors around us. Stuff to point out. Um, All of this is done not to earn salvation, not to do good works just because, but, but because God has given us so much. How can we not give to others in need?
So our deacons want to create more opportunities for us to serve and love others. And uh, so we can individually get involved uh, through um, all kinds of different areas, uh, all, all kinds of different ways. It's kind of hot in here. Do you know how, um, I think most of us have so badly misunderstood Jesus um, in our culture. I think a lot of people in the United States uh, tend to view Jesus as a white, uh, middle-class man. Uh, You know, his father had a steady job as a carpenter. His skin color was lighter in our minds. But when Jesus became human, the Bible says he gave up his riches to become poor. 2 Corinthians 8-9. The family he was born into um, had to offer pigeons for his circumcision party. Uh, Offering pigeons was like, it was reserved for the poorest of people. It wasn't, you know, the the biggest, largest, greatest, grandest sized offering you could could give up. Um, Indicating that he was really poor, his family. Uh, So he wasn't middle class even. Uh, On this earth, uh, who did Jesus spend lots of time with? He spent time with the poor and the lowly, lepers and societal rejects. His teachings taught that the, the, the rich would have an almost impossible time, right? I have, a, uh, I have a needle entering heaven and that all humans are poor spiritually. Everyone wears a filthy rag. We po, we are poor, right? <laughs> and, and the connection here between the gospel and justice, between believing the gospel and living out the gospel is because Jesus gave his riches to us who are poor, so we do good, we do right, we live justly with our families, with our friends, with foreigners, with neighbors and enemies around us. I think that's really the, the heart of what we need to see here as we're exploring this in, in this short series. One pastor put it like this, he said, and I quote, All life-changing love entails an exchange, a reversal of places. But here's the great reversal. God, in the place of ultimate power, reverses places with the marginalized, the poor, and the oppressed. That's us. (laughs) Like, we have to see that. I am the man. Thank you, God. And so the gospel actually changes how we view ourselves and how we look at others. Does it change anything for you? Does it make a difference at all? When you see a poor person, do you rush into thinking, that, thinking of them as deserving their, po- their poverty? Lazy. I mean, is that, is that a thought, honestly? Think, ask that of yourself. I usually think that. Is that my tendency? I think the gospel challenges our assumptions and and replaces them with acknowledging the reality, spiritually, I'm just like this person. They They are literally a mirror in front of me, a human mirror showing me what I stand in need of. I am poor. I need the grace of God.
I think our, our, our uh, specific American temptation is to think that we're not poor because of our hard work. Um, our self-reliance is what got us where we are. And if we believe that lie, does that make us a generous or an ungenerous person? God has always had a heart for the poor. In the gospel, we're the ones who are poor. God gives us a new heart to see how poor we are and how much we need his riches in Christ. How can that not change the way we look at somebody standing next to us or sitting next to us or kneeling next to us or begging next to us or a person next to us? Changes everything, doesn't it? So may God begin to help all of us do justice in our lives, in our families, in our communities, in this church, for the lost, the broken, the needy, the hurting, in this world. May God help all of us to let justice roll down in, a, in every area and with every person around us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, um, that your word challenges us greatly in every area of our lives, shows us where we fall short of your great, grand glory, shows us where we fall apart and where we do not love our neighbor and do not really love you. And we thank you that You've provided us with a Savior, a great Savior, greater than our sin, greater than our neglect, greater than everything that we've fallen short of in life. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for providing this Lamb of God to be slain for us, to forgive us of our sins, to unite us together in one blood as your people. And to call us to something so much more beautiful than anything else we could imagine. Father, I ask that you would help us to see justice emerge in your scriptures, to do justice in our lives, because you have satisfied justice in your Son for us. Because you're a God who loves justice. A God that we can hope in when injustices happen to us personally. A God who is there for us and who promises to put an end to all wrongs in this world. Father, this is, these are amazing truths for us to think about. May they change us. Amen.